and thank you for tuning in to the Bully Pew Podcast, brought to you by Protestia.com, where you can go to find all of the latest in Christian polemics and discernment news. Thank you so much for tuning in. This program brought to you by our patron supporters, and you can be one of them by going over to Patreon.com forward slash Protestia and joining up with us on a financial level. Of course, do this after you have uh, made sure that you are taking care of your other uh, higher priority uh, responsibilities like caring for your family and um, um, giving money to your church, supporting your church on a financial level. Um, Some call that tithing. I usually don't use that term because tithing means literally 10%. And in uh, in the church and under the, the new covenant, uh, uh, we practice what's called free will giving. Sometimes that means more than 10%. Sometimes it means less. But the important thing is that you are um, being faithful um, to follow the Lord as he places and convicts your conscience of uh, what you should be doing in every part of your life. Um, but once once you've done that, uh, if you have five ninety five or perhaps nineteen ninety five a month to throw our way, we would be honored to have your support, honored to have what are usually, honestly, fellow pew sitters, as I lovingly call those of us who are not in vocational ministry. Um, a lot of pew sitters, obviously, um, but also a fair number of pastors, uh, men who are in vocational ministry, and yeah, we don't uh, we 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 don't take that honor lightly as well. We very much appreciate that there are uh, Christian brothers of ours who have been called into um, the office of pastor and elder who understand that. Uh, well, I mean, not to not to be too trite or to steal a phrase that has been unfortunately co-opted by the the COVID cult, but they understand that we're all in this together. And that um, one of the unique things about polemics and discernment ministry is it can keep pastors, ministers, but really every Christian who's a minister, which should be all of us, apprised of what's going on out, out there. And so, you know, Protestia, of course, has a kind of a news reporting and apprising um, responsibility, uh, letting you know what's going on in the broader community, who's who and what, you know, what they're teaching and what the latest is with them. Um, but also when we get the chance, and this is really um, again, to to borrow an overused phraseology, this I suppose is where my heart is. Uh, we also get the chance to dig into the deeper, um, the 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 deeper depths. <laughs> that's not, that's redundant, of course, but uh, the depths of doctrinal uh, discussion and analysis and theology and 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 all of the things that uh, we we hope that every believer is also interested in digging into, but but also things that are. Um, that pastors have a special role in. And the Bible indicates that the elder office, the office of elder pastor, is doctrinal, profoundly doctrinal. It is about the propagation of truth, teaching and preaching the truth of God's word, um, defending, uh, correcting, arguing, rebuking those uh, who teach wrongly or understand wrongly. Um, That is the special um, calling and the reason that uh, the office of elder pastor exists, and 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 also to to show um, to provide an example. Um, you know, Paul reminded uh, the churches he was writing to to follow him as he followed Christ, and that should that should also be the calling of our brothers who have been called into pastoral ministry, into 
the office of elder, it's a bit of a misnomer because we, we, in modern evangelicalism, contemporary evangelicalism, we certainly use the term pastor, at least in a lot of circles, um, to indicate the, to, to basically wrap up the role of elder. We, we call them pastors, but really pastoring is one component, I would argue, one component of, of the actual um, calling of the position itself. So it can be a little bit confusing. We've talked about that um, now multiple times over the past uh, you know week or so about how confusing it can be if we're not very careful to define our terms. And so, so, um, but to get back to it, it's, yeah, it's something that's important to us and, and, and it's a, a, a burden that we don't take lightly and it's a responsibility that we, and that we cherish. And, um, I hope that, I hope that it's a blessing. What we do here is a blessing to pew sitter and, and pulpit alike, if I could say it that way. Um, that being the case, this, we call this the bully pew podcast, not because I'm a bully, um, but, but certainly because I uh, am a pew sitter and it's a play on words of bully, bully pulpit, you know, which was, uh, I believe it was Teddy Roosevelt who coined that term. I've said that before. I haven't even, I, I've said, uh, talked about the origins of the term bully pulpit multiple times. I have yet to look it up and confirm that my story is, is, is legitimate as far as where that comes from, if it's, if it's Teddy Roosevelt or not. But the terminology and the, the purpose of the term is, is still the same. It's you know, basically saying that there is a, a really good and special thing, you know, something that's bully, to use the old definition of the term, about um, the, the president's access to speak to the American people. And that's, that's the pulpit in this term. Um, it's not referring specifically to a church pulpit, but certainly a, a place where public speaking and proclamation is done. And so by the miracles of modern technology, the dangerous often, often dangerous miracles of modern technology, this is the, the bully pew, where the pew sitters have a, a, a voice. And we discuss things from that angle. And, um, yeah, as, as, as I was, I was waking up this morning and thinking about what to, what to talk about, um, stuff comes across, you know, basically my news feed, if you want to call it that stuff comes across that I, I I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm, you know, we're not going, we're going to try our best. Let me say it this way. We're going to try our best not to dive headlong into every single, uh, little spat, I guess I would call it that, that happens within the within the um, niche reformed conversation so much. Not that we won't weigh in on those things from time to time, but it's, it's like every single day there's some new thing that um, everybody is in a tizzy about. And sometimes, sometimes they mean something and many times they don't or it's just not important. Or, you know, in a couple of days it'll go away and nobody will care anymore. The current, the current um, I guess, debate or the current tussle or tizzy or whatever you want to call it going on right now is with uh, um, Ali Beth Stuckey, who is a uh, Christian podcaster on the Blaze Network, appearing at the Founders Conference and throwing shade at, uh, I guess, I don't know, is it pronounced trad wife, I guess? It's like short for traditional traditional wife, um, like culture or imagery or I don't know. It's, it's, I'm looking at this, this sort of debate and 
you know, usually I can pretty quickly figure out who's who and what the what the concerns are and and drill down to it. And, and this one, I'm like, I not only am I not entirely sure what the fuss is all about, I'm not sure I really care. I mean, how how often can these little these little spats be ginned up out of nowhere because of the nature of information technology? Scandals can come out of nowhere, quote unquote scandals. And of course, they're 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 as fake as the internet is often, and they're just they're illusions. Anybody can make a scandal out of anything, I suppose, or try to make a scandal out of anything. And and but at the end of it, it's it's like an empty husk. There's nothing there. And so if, if something like Ali Beth Stuckey was. Um, was at the founders conference and had made um, like like criticized this sort of TikTok, Instagram, um, like digital. Uh, um, I don't know if it's a fad or what, but um, wives and, and women um, basically aesthetically appearing online as um, beacons of all of the traditional parts of femininity and 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 traditional family that we've lost. You know, imagine like, uh, you know, an, an ad from <laughs> like back in the 50s or 60s advertising the, 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 the new oven or something like that. And of course, there'll be a, uh, a housewife who is perfectly dressed in, in um, you know, the perfect dress, makeup well done, the whole nine yards um, and advertising this thing. And the, the imagery that is supposed to be given off here is that this is the ideal um, this is the ideal uh, archetype for the the traditional conservative Christian woman, I guess, and she's everything that a wife should be and could be, and and it's ho- it's all about home and hearth all the time, and 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 all of that. But uh, Ali Beth Stuckey seemed to be criticizing the commoditization, which is just I mean, this is what happens on the internet. We take a good thing, and and this happens just as much in Christian culture as anywhere else. We take a good thing, something something that um, in the abstract, if not in reality, but certainly in the abstract is laudable, and we package it, and we sell it, and we, we um, uh, make it disposable, I guess. We commoditize it. We turn it into, a, into a, um, an assembly line product, and this seems to me like it's no different than that. I, ironically, as I open up this little segment with, uh, we're not going to get into that all the time. I've now spent a, a, a considerable amount of time talking about this thing. But it's, I, I guess it's, it's one of those examples of something where I'm like, does this really matter? Um, probably not. You know, I mean, the, inter- the Internet allows us to make anything matter if we, if we want to. And for, for every time that we think we have plumbed the depths and we've exhausted all um, discussion of this issue or that issue or whatever it is, there's always more to be had. And then the fact that we're discussing it also creates an additional, an additional um, abstract angle for us to continue to discuss more. This is on the internet. What we see is, you know, reaction videos. I'm going to do a video on so-and-so's video, or I'm going to do a video on so-and-so's video. That was a video on my video. And all of a sudden we're, we're in this sort of, you know, room of mirrors uh, where, where it's like this, it, it never stops. There are people that sort of, that that's their whole brand or that's their, their whole reason for producing content online is um, reaction videos and, and um, you know, they, they draft off of the, uh, the movements or the teachings or the actions of other people a little bit. And, and that's the entirety of what they do. 
there's obviously no logical end to that. So we, we try not to be that. Hopefully we can bring um, enduring, transcendent, scriptural uh, understanding and truth to bear on whatever the issue of the day is, rather than it just being about, oh, this is the issue of the day. we got to say something. And by the way, that's why uh, it's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why there isn't necessarily regular, consistent, like the content that we that we uh, produce at Protestia is not on a regular schedule. I'm not doing like a five day a week radio show or, um, you know, like, like always have to do an intelligence briefing or always got to write an article or this and that and the other. This, this is not a career in some way. It's a labor of love. Um, it's not something that, uh, that I get paid to do anyway. Um, it's really, I mean, certainly in terms of the time committed, but even, even just strictly financially, it's not a, it's, it's a net loss. And I don't say that for any, any reason other than to, um, to make it clear that we're not platform builders at Protestia. Like the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And if, if we can be influential or helpful or, or good, um, you know, God honoring participants in the broader conversation, um, that's, that's really what we're trying to do. And we're going to continue to labor and work as, as much as, um, God allows us to, to keep that happening. Um, but you know, we, I, I suppose just like Paul, um, you know, chose to not, uh, take remuneration for his gospel work, um, because he, he was convicted before, uh, God that that was, um, something that would give him, uh, you know, additional credibility, not personal credibility, but certainly his ministerial work to basically take the accusation of, hey, you're doing this for money off the table, um, we do the same thing. And that's not to say that uh, some of our contributors aren't compensated for the work that they're doing in their time. They are. Um, but we don't care about the platform. It just doesn't matter. Um, compared to, like, like, I would rather say one true thing and then disappear than just fill the void, the internet void with noise for the sake of gathering a following or an audience or something like that. There are a lot of content creators that do that, even in the Christian conversation. Um, yeah. And we, we try very hard not to, not to be in that category. Um, which, you know, again, I mean, it, it, it means that I suppose in a way, and this, I think this is a good thing. I suppose in a way we are more dangerous to the conversation than a lot of other folks because, um, well, we can't be bought. You know, I, I, we're not going to pull punches uh, when it comes to what to talk, what what to report, what to talk about, what to what to expose. Um, that's that's not that doesn't make us very popular with the um, the professional ministry circuit. And, and I'm not saying that in a disparaging sense, but those who are um, who it's it's their living to be ministers in, in whatever way that is. Um, yeah, it's, they're not going to trust us very easily uh, because people listen to us publicly and because we, 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 prefer, we prefer to discuss things out in the open. I think that that is, erring on that side is the biblical model. Um, it is not the, uh, you know, hey, you have an issue or a concern or something like that or this and that happen. Let's, let's decide how to strategically present this so it's not damaging to so-and-so. I don't, like, I don't care about so-and-so any more than I care about my own reputation. 
if we care about the truth of God's word, we do things in love. And that does, that does entail a lot of grace because the flip side of that coin is when you say, I, I don't care about so-and-so's reputation. Um, the flip side of that coin is, is an encouragement for everybody um, involved in any sort of public ministry to give each other grace, to, to make sure that, um, that we are not needlessly tribal, that when a person is in error or in sin or something needs to be discussed or corrected, it's not done uh, as, like, we don't, we don't necessarily attach that person to their false teaching or, or what they screwed up here or something like that because we're all in that category. Every believer, um, every believer has a whole litany of sin, identifiable sin, that would be quote-unquote disqualifying from ministry if we just camped out there. So we, we don't, we don't want to do that. Um, and, I, and I would argue that this is a call to a higher, uh, a more godly um, exercise of Christian ministry and discussion, a more mature version of this where the voices who are, have kind of put themselves out there or you know, believe that they have been uh, led by the Spirit to put themselves out there are willing to you know, have their reputations tarnished if necessary for the sake of the truth. They're not going to try to, ma- to maintain their platform. Like the platform shouldn't be in the equation. The truth should be in the equation. And, and certainly um, the love for those involved should be in the, in the conversation. And that involves a lot of grace. So, I mean, you know, I keep going back to it, but it's such a good example. The, the recent uh, issue with Alistair Begg is like, we're, we're, not going, we're not talking about that and exposing that and all of that because we're somehow against Alistair Begg as a person. Um, he's, I mean, we still consider him a brother in Christ, of course, but when he's in error and it's a public error, there's damage done by public error. And the only solution to it, the only solution to it if we're going to be consistent and use equal weights and measures and not hypocritical and really maintain uh, um, an above reproach reputation, the only answer is to, when, when public error commences, is to handle it publicly, to address it publicly, to discuss it out in the open, to not get into this this, tr- this calculation of, well, so-and-so is too, you know, he's too big to fail or he's too important to, uh, his reputation is too important or, you know, this and that and the other. That, that can't be part of the equation. And really it does damage. It does damage to the, the, the Reformation understanding and, and really recapturing of the, the biblical teaching that everybody is a minister, uh, that, that we're a priesthood of believers, you know that that that, um, that description is used to um, clarify and and evoke this understanding that um, every every Christian, every believer is a priest um, who ministers on behalf of God. Uh, we don't we we don't uh, believe in some sort of magisterial hierarchy or something like that when it comes to ministry. Um, yeah, this and and this is it's funny. I, I realize I'm realizing now as the the episode is this episode is getting longer. I'm kind of rambling a little bit or, or chasing chasing rabbits or squirrels, but but I think all of these points are worth being made, and I hope that you know me bringing them up, even if I'm sort of going back and forth and I'm not necessarily sticking on one topic exclusively. I, I still hope that these things being brought up can increase um, your understanding. And our understanding, really, of 
the nature of what's being talked about. But I say that because uh, talking about this this idea of a priesthood of believers, this idea that um, everybody uh, who is a son or daughter of the Almighty, all children of God, are called into ministry um, in in you know, their their context or as as God would equip them or where he would place them, uh, it's, th- this is, I mean, the thing we were talking about yesterday on Protestia Tonight and in the, in the latest X feed that I was describing, this is really paramount to figure, to, to figuring this out. Um, as pastoral ministry, especially as, as, um, ha- has been, um, we, we might say professionalized, um, it has lost in many ways, it's transcendence. Sadly, it's lost this. Um, we, we know that, I mean, in, in, in contemporary parlance, professionalism or, or professions are defined by, um, you know, credentials necessary, schooling necessary, or, uh, um, can, you know, basically control over who can, you know who can actually exercise and 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 work in that field, and whether you think whether we're talking about say medicine or law or even I mean nowadays education, uh, you know if, even even things that weren't traditionally considered the professions, but they're they're now uh, um, professionalized. That one of the defining characteristics of all of these all of these areas of of work. All these areas of practice are um, they the the people that practice them they exercise um, control over those fields through access to to the knowledge required to do the job and through always through some sort of official sometimes un, unofficial but usually pretty official sort of guild uh, process and credentialing process by which we can easily identify who is permitted to practice these professions. So, I mean, if you taking, if you take doctors and lawyers, I use them because traditionally, if we look back in history, it was, um, professional schooling, certainly post-secondary, you know, college level education was pretty much for, uh, law and for theology actually in ministry. And then, and then medicine later, uh, kind of came along and um, professionalized itself, which is a good thing. I mean, all the, especially with law and medicine, that's a good thing. Um, but then, of course, the professionalization has grown to so many other fields that that uh, you know we're highly specialized in our society. Um, you know, com- it's we're complicated. We're sort of you know expertise is strewn out amount amongst uh, many many different disciplines. But in, in light of that, that, that hasn't traditionally been, especially if we, if we talk about um, more low church traditions like Baptist churches, um, um, that hasn't been the way that it's been done. Instead, we looked at the, the minister, the pastor, the elder, the preacher, as, the, as someone who held a special calling and a transcendent role that... that um, existed outside all of those professional pressures, and 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 now we've we've flipped that on its head. Uh, as as the culture has become 
uh, more aggressively secularized over the last, you know, 150, 200 years, really, um, the, the pastoral ministry has become just another profession uh, along with the others. And here, this, this is where this, this makes it difficult. And I, and I sympathize, I really do, with pastors who are trying to navigate this because I think it's extraordinarily difficult, to be honest with you. Um, doctors and lawyers, for instance, they exercise control over the profession through the exclusivity of their ability to do the work. And through knowledge, through experience, through schooling, um, you're not allowed to practice medicine if you're not a doctor. If you don't have a medical degree, you're not allowed to practice law. If you don't have um, a, a, a degree in law, if you don't have a juris doctor, you, you, you can't be able, you can't represent somebody in court. You can't practice law. And so those the those professions are um, isolated from the the rest of the the you know community around them that uh, are, are the you know, the customers, I suppose, of those professions or, or those that um, benefit from those professions but are not allowed to practice it. They, they're not allowed to do that work. They don't have the knowledge or the experience, the credentials. Um, they're not in... in and, and, and yet, when, when we turn that analogy or, the, or that understanding towards the church and professional ministry, now we come to a problem because the Bible not only teaches pastors, elders to equip the saints for ministry... Um, we don't believe as, as, as Protestants, as um, heirs of the Reformation, that doctrine, that God's truth is the ex- exclusive uh, territory of professional ministers. It's supposed to be um, not only accessible to everybody, but available to be actually understood and practiced by everybody. This presents an issue because now we, we have a conflict because you know, pastors uh, have a hard time not talking out of both sides of their mouth and saying, um, hey, we want you to be doing the work of ministry, Christians. We want to equip our church for doing ministerial work. And yet at the same time, uh, we want to be, um, we, or maybe maybe I'd say we've been placed in by the, the winds of change. We've been placed into this ministerial guild, this, this separate professional class of ministers um, that, that, that's, a, it's a very difficult, um, um, paradox to try to navigate for, for pastors and they wind up becoming impermanent and they move around like any other professional and they're commoditized along with everything else. Um, this idea that a pastor would be called to a certain place at a certain time to offer a theological transcendent contribution to um, a, a people in a place at a certain time, it's, it's been dislodged. He's now only valued by uh, really his effectiveness, quote-unquote. Um, w- without the, the knowledge and content of his field being uh, his exclusive territory to practice because it's available to everybody, I mean, I, you know, of course, the irony is not missed on me that you're listening to this being talked about by a lovable pew sitter who is not a pastor, not an elder, not in um, vocational ministry, per se. The irony is not lost because we're, we're talking about doctrinal, practical, ecclesiolo- uh, <laughs> ecclesiastical things, uh, not from the pulpit right now. 
and we're totally allowed to do that. That's totally permissible. And it's, um, it's, if it's true, it's valuable. If it's true, then it's, then it's important and it's real and it's permissible. But you can understand why that might make it difficult for, for pastors to understand how to navigate that. You know, because they would rightly look at doctors and lawyers and say that the importance of those professions or the, 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 the status of those professions or the, the um, ability for those folks to do their work is partially due to their monopoly on the knowledge and practice of their fields, and ours is not. Uh, how, you know, so they look and say, that's, that's where the, the um, that, that, that's where the uh, solid ground for practicing those things, the stability of those professions comes from, and ours does not come from that. And so what's happened over the last, you know, uh, you know, 150, 200 years is the things that have, that have defined pastoral ministry, which is really the transcendent preaching of truth, they've been replaced uh, slowly but surely with things that uh, uh, pastors could say are their uh, exclusive purview. So rather than, rather than being able to say um, our, our exclusive purview is through gifting, it's through a special position uh, from which we can exposit truth um, in in ways that maybe the the uh, the pew sitter can't, or or is maybe not not uh, not protected to do. Um, rather than that, we're going to plant our flag. the The exclusivity of what we provide is going to be in our um, organizational competence. Uh, it's going to be in in you know leadership ability or you know people management. Um, it's going to be in, uh, you know, therapeutic and, and psychologized uh, um, giftings that we have rather than um, doctrinal. Um, because, again, the, the doctrine in biblical truth is, especially in the Protestant tradition, especially in the um, Western Protestant tradition, is the is is not it's not the exclusive uh, um, field of play for professional ministers. It's for everybody, and, and, and you know, outside of a very intentional and specific um, defining of the office and the role of elder pastor, it, it's it's dislodging. Uh, it it creates it creates a, a disunity. Um, it creates. Uh, instability and uh, you know uncertainty and these things among our among our pastors and elders, and this is really this is really at the core of what I was getting at in describing some of the issues with the um, with with the law amendment not being uh, it's not going to be effective in and of itself. It needs to be followed up. Um, we have long ago lost our hold as, you know, as, as evangelical churches, as, as Christians here, our institutions, our churches have long ago lost their hold on the definition of, um, vocational ministry. It's, I mean, it's, it's been a long time coming. Uh, I think most Christians don't even recognize it because they don't, they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily aware of the history that's led us to this point. Um, and and because of that, they're ill-equipped to 
to biblically love and support their brothers who are doing this work. And, you know, that's, you know, t- again, to borrow another soft uh, ev- evangelicalism 2.0 sort of phrase, that's certainly on my heart. That's a concern of mine because I, it, we just don't see it. And, and I don't know if what it's going to take for evangelical churches to return to a biblical model where the, the preacher, the elder, the pastor, the, those men called into this ministry can be freed from, can be freed from the, the pressures of um, professionalization, from the pressures of the market, and instead be, be um, much more prophetic in exercising their giftings and in doing the, their, their specific part of the ministerial work, um, what it's going to take for them to be able to be more like John the Baptist and less like um, Steve Jobs, you know, more, more, uh, more prophetic in the work they do be transcendent and not subject to the, the whims of the marketplace and culture. Anyway, uh, coming to the end here of this Bully Pew podcast for the leap day, I guess it's leap day here, the 29th of February. Um, so it's, I I'd say this is a bonus podcast, but no, it's just the one for this week. <laughs> so it's, a, but I, but I hope that you have a good rest of your Thursday. I hope this uh, discussion has been helpful and explained some things, maybe got some questions stirring uh, with you about, uh, this issue, um, maybe an issue that you haven't even realized is an issue. Um, uh, but now that we've been, now that we've been talking about it for a few different podcasts in a, in a few different places, it's more obvious the day that there's something here. There's a concerning thing here. You'll start to see maybe in your own church or with your own pastors and things. Um, some of these challenges that you may not even realized, um, are well, just not what they should be. Uh, but anyway, I hope it's been helpful. Uh, thank you very much for listening and for uh, your ongoing support and and prayers for the myself and the team at Protestia, uh, for our illustrious staff writer, uh, Dustin. He has been under the weather the past few days. And so prayers for his uh, quick return to health uh, are much appreciated. And um, um, yeah, appreciate you very much. We'll talk to you again next time as always. Semper Reformanda. Mm-hmm.